0: The world is watching. We are closer than ever to the world's first truly global agreement to limit and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This is a special podcast from Copenhagen, and I'm John Vidal, The Guardian's environment editor. Well, it was supposed to be a historic moment, one that could have saved our planet but it turned into something else.
1: We are ready to get this done today, but there has to be movement on all sides.
0: Things must be pretty bad if even the US president can't sort things out.
1: We were very
2: disappointed about uh, the Obama speech not presenting anything new on the reduction target for greenhouse gases.
0: And Gordon Brown seems to have been lost in the crowd of 192 nations here. So, what has the Prime Minister been up to? Just remember that a lot of this money will go to uh, cutting emissions through... uh,
3: uh, He played a massively central part in these negotiations, and yet these negotiations haven't delivered on targets.
0: But there's been a little bit of colour nonetheless. Howls of laughter when Hugo Chavez made his speech.
2: I still smell sulphur. I still smell sulphur in this world. Obama, Nobel Prize of War. He shouldn't leave from that little door here there
0: were several phantom press conferences.
2: There apparently
0: is a rumour that US President Obama is going to give a press conference here. Welcome. Now, also here is Suzanne Goldenberg, our US Environment Correspondent, and John Watts is our man in China. We're going to look at these two countries more closely in a minute. But first, the talks as a whole. Now, two weeks, success or failure? Okay, Suzanne, what's going on?
4: What Obama did is he managed to sort of pull these talks back from the brink and sort of salvage something that to the untrained eye might look like a deal. Um,
0: it's pretty weak.
4: T- I said to the untrained eye, it is extremely weak. It doesn't have the hard emissions cuts that you need. It's lacking in scale of ambition. It's, it's really airy all over the place. And let's be real, it's not being signed on to by 192 countries. There's only about 30 countries that are on side with this, so we don't know whether it will fly or not. But at least they're not going home entirely empty-handed.
5: John, what's good about this deal? Uh, I think from the developing nations' point of view, and China in particular, uh, they faced two weeks of very intense pressure to abandon the principles that were enshrined in the Kyoto Protocol, particularly that richer countries, older industrialised countries, have more responsibility for emissions and so should pay money to others that are coming along more recently. Um, Two weeks of pressure by developed nations failed to get them to move their position. They were able... To fight a strong defense, they kept the principles of the Kyoto Protocol in place. Uh, and I think, although they certainly, develop, developing nations certainly didn't get everything they wanted. Uh, at least they were able to protect what they consider their biggest gain in the last twenty years or so. Uh,
0: but but Susan, the G seventy seven and uh, all the development groups and environment groups—they're saying this is the death sentence for Africa. And for, uh, are they being hysterical? What's going on?
4: No, I think that's what ha- happened. I agree with John. I think this agreement is really good for co- the big countries: China, India, Brazil, Indonesia, South Africa. They now have a seat at the table. Obama will be forever, and they're dead. But for everybody else, for the poorest countries, for the countries that are on the front line of climate change, this is a death sentence. There's no mention here of an effort to limit warming to one and a, 1.5 degrees, which is the level that they need to be safe. So it's going to be very hard for them, and it's still not clear how much of the money they need to insulate themselves from climate change is going to become rolling.
0: John, who should, who, who should we blame? Is it is it a question of America sort of muscling something through to its advantage, or is it just lack of general ambition by politicians everywhere?
5: I don't think anybody really comes out of this smelling of roses. Um, The finger of blame has been pointed at India, it's been pointed at China uh, for for failing to move things along more quickly. Um, But at the same time, those countries can look at the US and say, how can you come to a a big conference like this uh, without a decent pledge? I mean, it's a pretty pathetic pledge that the US has in the first place. And Europe, in Kyoto, in 1997, they were the leaders, they pushed everyone forward, and here they were very lacklustre, they seemed to be in the background, as if recognising that now China and America, they're the ones making the decisions.
0: So, Susie, let's look more closely at the USA Obama arrived. We all thought he was going to come bearing gifts. Did he?
4: Nope. <laughs> he, in the end, he came empty-handed, and he had to get right to work. This deal was you know, on the verge of collapse, and that would have been a real disaster, not just for the planet, but for Obama's own... Uh, political history here. He's facing a tough time at home. For him to go to Copenhagen and uh, and come back with nothing would have been very bad indeed. So he worked hard to save a deal.
0: But he gave
1: a terrible speech, didn't he?
4: It was an absolutely awful speech.
1: It is better for us to act than to talk. It's better for us to choose action over inaction, the future over the past, and with courage and faith. I believe that we can meet our responsibilities to our people and the future of our planet. Thank you very much.
4: You know, it was only eight minutes long. Obama is somebody who's really comfortable having 45 minutes at a time for a speech. Now, that wasn't possible here. You know, there were lots of leaders who were sharing the stage. But also, I mean, the situation was so dire, was so grim, that he had to hurriedly sort of recast things and recalibrate the situation. And he went on right after China's leader, you know, and he was responding to that. That was a really angry uh, Barack Obama that we saw today.
0: He seemed very unsure of himself, and not. None of that charisma, none of that sort of warmth which he uh, exudes.
4: He was not happy to be here. He was skittish all the time about coming to Copenhagen. He knew that, you know, if he didn't come out with a success here, that the Republicans in the Senate could use that against him. It could further damage his energy agenda, it could damage other parts of his agenda. He'd come off looking weak and that's not something he can afford right now.
0: But nevertheless, he was there at the end and there was a deal. So to be fair to him, something must have worked.
4: I think he really got his head down and worked hard. Look, the foundations were laid in advance. Hillary Clinton was in the room on Thursday night, working the situation. He came in, he used his prestige, his personal charisma, and the fact that let's face it, he's the head of the world's biggest economy. He's but got second things biggest he offer. Emitter. <laughs> now, second biggest, and he sort of mobilized, uh, you know, the support he needed to make a deal with with China. I think that was a, the biggest area of deadlock.
0: So he didn't even give a press conference here, did he? He just shot, shot home.
4: No, he did give a press conference for the White House traveling press. Uh, it, was a, it was a small and, and select group, and uh, it was a very hurried affair, and really they did run right out of the press room onto the plane.
1: Some people are going to legitimately ask is, well, if it's not legally binding, what prevents us from 10 years from now looking and saying, you know, everybody fell short of these goals, and there's no consequences to it. Uh, uh, My response is that, A, that's why I think we should still drive towards something that is more binding than it is, but that was not achievable at this uh, conference. Uh, The point, uh, the second point that I'd make is that uh, Kyoto was legally binding, and everybody still fell short anyway. (laughs) So, John,
0: let's hear if Chinese Premier Wen Jiabao could do any better at
1: all.
4: Not
5: all of us understood that, John. What actually did he say in Mandarin? Uh, effectively, what he's saying is, don't blame China. We are playing the part of a responsible nation. We have set our first carbon target this year, uh, Rich nations have been banging on at developing nations for years and years to get involved, to set their own targets. And if there was a big uh, area of progress this year, it probably was that, that countries like China, India, South Africa, they have set targets for the first time. Okay, it's not overall targets. They haven't said when they're planning to peak, but what they've said is we're going to slow the way we grow our emissions. And, and that's a kind of progress. We're saying recognize that. Don't just blame us.
0: China seemed to play a bit of a blinder. It, 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 it didn't come forward. It, it, it played behind people, but it, it's been credited with uh, um, helping to get a deal. Um, at the same time, as it didn't offend people, it didn't make any blunders. Very sophisticated diplomacy.
5: I think they have played a very hard, tight game. Um, It certainly didn't please everyone. I think a lot of people in the developing world were quite happy with what China had done, or at least part of what China had done. But you also heard um, some of the European leaders, particularly um, French President Sarkozy, saying China is the obstacle. It's the one that's holding us all back. Um, But... You know that will go down very well in China. They, they like the fact that people there like the fact their leaders stand up to rich nations, and that China is emerging as a power.
0: But China seems quite shy. It doesn't want to take the world stage in the same way as Obama does, or doesn't have that sort of ease
5: in front of the cameras. That's definitely true, and it's uh, partly because of history, partly because it's still an emerging uh, power, uh, and definitely because of its sort of still closed political system in many ways. Um, you saw two sides of China uh, in the in, in the past two weeks. On one side, they had a very sophisticated public diplomacy. I mean, I've been in China for seven years now. Um, I haven't seen them so proactive in getting their message out. They had press conferences for anyone almost every day. But when it came to the crunch the last two days, it was closed China again. Um, today, we've We didn't have any press conferences from the Chinese side. Even the Chinese journalists said they didn't get uh, any communication with their leader. So Wen Jiabao flew in and flew out without talking to the world's public at all.
0: Suzanne, what, what about these other two giant emerging countries, India and Brazil?
4: Well, I think both of them came off really well. Um, India had similar problems to China in that it had to sort of justify to the world, or was made to justify the world, its refusal until recently to uh, pledge to begin sort of curbing the rate of growth of its emissions. And, you know, that was a difficult issue for India to, uh, domestically to sort of say, look, we're going to tailor our emissions, our development program to meet pressure in the outside world. I mean, this is a country where 400 million people are still living in poverty. Um, but I think India managed to make that shift quite effectively and managed to get it through its own parliament and to really begin to emerge on the world stage. Indian diplomats traditionally don't like to take center stage. They're uncomfortable giving, uh, Interviews, but the Environment Minister J. Ram Ramesh was like a media magnet. He was he's walking he 's been walking through the Bayless Center throwing off co- he's a sort of he 's a great uh, you know quote master so he 's been tossing off these little one liners all the way through and clearly enjoying himself now brazil 's Lula da Silva has also done really well out of this um, he, uh, Obama thanked him publicly along with the Indian, Chinese, and South African leaders for doing his bit to help make the deal. But he was also the man who really gave voice to the frustrations of war leaders here, that they arrived uh, at the end of the summit and nothing had been done. Negotiators had failed to produce a text and, you know, they had to roll up their sleeves and get to work. He said it reminded him of being a trade union leader fighting the bosses late into the night.
0: I thought it was quite significant that Brazil came with the largest delegation of all. The the, the official numbers were more than 1,000 delegates. Which is more than any other country. Yeah. That was that was Americans more than China and America I put think. together. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: seeing a, a real change in sort of the balance of power here, even, aren't you? You know, it's not the days when America and Europe could just impose their will on others. Um, uh, seem seem already, so something of the past. Talks. Yeah, yeah. Talks. yeah.
4: and really This is, strong this is, here. A, this is yes. a new Absolutely. world order. The balance of power of sh- is shifting. And climate
0: politics is now key to understanding the sort of rollout of, 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 of power. And what about Africa? Africa seemed to exert, uh, assert itself in a way which it really hasn't before. I mean, it did at the last one. They had
4: nothing to play with, and they used it really well. Really, they had no power in this situation except to sort of slow down the process and, you know, try and take advantage of the fact that the UN Traditionally, works by consensus, and, and that they occupy, had to be heard
0: occupy the moral high ground as well. And which they, was and the they
5: could play, play, play off uh, Europe and, and China in ways they couldn't do before. You know, in, in in past conferences, you always had Africans sort of being squeezed at the end. Either, either you do what we say, or you don't get this money. These days. China actually gives a lot more money. China gives more money now than the World Bank to Africa, so they have someone else to turn to. It's not so easy to squeeze Africa.
0: But we come right back to the start. and I mean, the proof of the pudding is that Africa basically is the big loser here because it didn't get any kind of cut in emissions which is going to help it. No, it's,
4: it's, but what, what they did get, and I think we shouldn't dismiss it entirely, is both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama talked about aid for the most vulnerable countries. They've got a commitment here to Africa and this is also a financial commitment that will fly in Congress. There's a lot of support in Congress for more aid to Africa. It's also a cause beloved of Republican members of Congress and that's important. So there could be a, a little bit of compensation coming their way.
0: I have to say that one of the stars of the show was the UK delegation which uh, gave lots of briefings, um, didn't give us any stories whatever, but had a negotiator, our chief negotiator Jan, she turned up in feather boas, in red boots, I mean she was actually a star of the negotiators.
3: Uh, Hi, I'm Alex Stratton, I'm a political correspondent, I've been with Brown for the, I think it's three days since he arrived on Tuesday night. Um, As I speak I'm shutting down my computer having written copy after he did a press conference with us. Has it been a success? Uh, He says he got five out of the six measures he outlined in his own speech to conference on Wednesday. Um, I think he's played a very central role um, but funny kind of expectation management throughout proceedings because they were suggesting at some points during the, um, the summit that they would, well, we'd get a much better deal than we've got. Uh, quite a minority view, but I think this has been a success, partial success for Gordon. I certainly think he will regard it as one, though when he was trying to persuade journalists of that in the press conference just now, they weren't <laughs> persuaded. I think it's a success because the one clear hit of the conference was the 100 billion dollar fund something that at one stage the Americans said there was no way they'd sign up to and yet African countries did uh, broadly European countries obviously and the Americans and that was the big in terms of the drama and the the, um, big announcements it was about this idea that that Gordon Brown came up with in June that's a big deal and in his, in his head and heart he'll, 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 he'll attribute that to himself, but also I think it would be churlish of us not to attribute it to him either. Having said that, um, he played a massively central part in these negotiations, and yet these negotiations haven't delivered on targets. They haven't delivered on a legally binding uh, treaty negotiation being in a document so that it has to be held within a year. They're not delivered on verification, this thorny issue with the Chinese. How do you tell whether or not they're cutting their emissions? That's just been shelved. And uh, Angela Merkel is going to set up a, um, a, a, another conference to look at that issue. So there's a lot of paused issues. Um, so I think, I think on the one big measure, it did pretty well. It's not insubstantial, But um, other than that, it's kind of scrambled eggs.
0: The NGOs seem to have a really sort of bad time and not only were they effectively kicked out of the whole show, they got the result which they did not want. Mohamed Addo uh, with
4: Christian Aid.
5: So what's your reaction to the culmination of two weeks?
4: Uh, I'm, I'm shocked, I'm devastated uh, and, and this is the worst we would
3: expect from an international process. We came to engage in an international process, you know, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. And we now have a deal that
4: was cooked up, literally, by a few in a back room in in, in Bella Center,
3: which is quite unfortunate.
2: My name is David Turnbull, director of the Climate Action Network International. This is a, a minimal first step. Um, it's long overdue that we have steps in, the, in this direction, but it's certainly not adequate. It needs to be improved. It needs to go further. And they need to reconvene next year to make sure that that happens. Um, there's a lot of details that need to be ironed out. There's a lot of ways that it can be improved. My name is Kim Kerstensen, and I'm leader of the Global Climate Initiative of WBF International.
5: And what do you make of the fact this deal is not legally binding?
2: By not being binding... It is also, in a sense, open so that you can actually strengthen it in that negotiation process leading towards Mexico. And in that sense, we may still end up with what the world needs, which is two legally binding instruments, two protocols next to each other, which lead the world on the way to staying below two degrees. Kumi Naidu, International Executive Director, Greenpeace.
5: Okay, where do you go from here? Is this the end?
2: We're not prepared to wait till Mexico... Uh, till the next cop to get progress, given that right now at least three hundred thousand people are losing their lives from climatic impacts now, that in fact conflict is being uh, driven upwards uh, as a result of water and uh, scarcity land scarcity which has been generated in developing uh, in the developing world as a result of climatic impacts, and if this is all we have, then this is a death warrant. small island states and for the most vulnerable people that are already uh, facing impacts. So right now, to be honest, uh, it looks very pessimistic and it looks like a real betrayal to our children's future and our grandchildren's future.
0: There were splashes of colour throughout the last day and a half. Venezuelan leader Hugo Chavez took to the stage. Here he is talking through an interpreter.
2: What did Obama say earlier? He said something that is actually ridiculous, completely ridiculous. The United States that has a machine that can print dollars, the United States that I think uh, put $700 billion, $700 billion to save the banks. People say on the street that if the climate were a bank, it would have been saved already. And now he says, he comes to us and he says that he is going to give $10 billion per year, a figure which is laughable, which is ridiculous. This is sort of a joke. The military expenditure of the United States, well, per year, $700 billion.
0: Who did we love? We loved Hugo Chavez, did we?
4: Eva Morales.
0: Eva Morales. Who is he?
4: Uh, he's the leader of Bolivia. He doesn't speak for himself, he speaks for the people.
0: And the people, he brought the people with him. And he him.
4: says, "Spend money on climate, not war, or save the save the planet. Don't make war." And you know, great stirring stuff. And apparently, he's uh, helped. Co- Sort of promote this new climate change anthem no, uh, well no, they sing wa- Bolivia global warming to the tune of Homeward Bound, which I'm grass. not going to do here.
0: <laughs> he wants but Earth, John, you're Mother welcome. Rights, you're you're welcome it. to
4: <laughs> you're welcome to try to sing the words Bolivia to the tune of Homeward Bound.
0: The last evening was was marked by some weird events in the in the in the halls. what,
4: what was going on?
5: Well, I think we've all we've all gone a little bit stir crazy of being in this hall for all this time. Which
4: has no windows.
5: Uh, Yes, indeed, no windows and not very good coffee. We drank too much of it. And uh, everyone was very tired, basically, waiting for the leaders to come up with something and desperate that they should have the press conference that would announce the end. So rumours went around that President Obama was about to have a press conference and three or 400 journalists just piled into the press conference room set up all their equipment, waited there for 20 minutes, and then were told by a very amused UN official, it's very nice to see you all, but you're in the wrong place. We have uh, heard that there apparently is a rumor
0: that US President Obama is going to give a press conference here. From media coordination, I can assure you, we are not aware of any booking of this room. (laughs) We are trying in the moment to... um, Contact the US delegation to find out if there indeed are plans to use this room. Um, we are at a loss in the moment as much as you are. But I hope you like the little entertainment and the little movement, uh, which, keeps you, which will keep you awake for the long, long, long hours of the evening.
4: I just want to put it on the record that there was a tremendous push to get through that narrow door, but Team Guardian, all of the members of Team Guardian got through.
5: We, we
0: were all, there. We were there. We, we were, were all there. in the wrong place. <laughs> we were all.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and we were together.
0: <laughs> Canada receives the Fossil of the Year award for being the country voted with the worst environment record in 2009. Now, Susie, come clean. You are a Canadian, and Canada didn't have a very good show, did it?
4: Uh, No. Canada is the new carbon bully. Basically, what's happened is, uh, for all sorts of reasons, uh, chiefly Barack Obama, America is not the big villain on the world stage, at least not right now. But in terms of climate change, Canada is, because of its exploitation of the Alberta tar stands and it was sort of got beat up on quite a lot at this summit. First there was this the hoax, the yes men sort of put out a press release, a fake press release saying that Canada had sort of shifted its position, was going to undertake forty percent cut in emissions. Uh, they followed that up with several with a fake video, a fake newspaper story. So it was all a sort of prolonged embarrassment for Canada. And then when the Prime Minister, uh, the Canadian Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, did get here, he was so afraid of interacting with the other people at the conference who might be hostile that he basically only saw Canadians until he went to dinner with the Queen.
0: That must have been quite a shock. John, who was your villain of the conference?
5: Um, I guess it would have to be the Danish police. Ah. And seeing them in action during the protests, hearing about how many people they arrested... Scandinavia has a reputation for sort of tolerance and uh, a, a liberal attitude, but seeing their police in action, I think you have to uh, realise that that certainly doesn't apply right across the board. I
0: think it was Evo Morales who said that uh, we were living in a, in a Scandinavian police state. Susie, <laughs> <laughs> where do we go from here?
4: Mexico. Seriously? (laughs) Seriously. Basically, what this agreement says is that negotiators should try and turn this into international law by the next uh, scheduled meeting uh, of the climate change negotiations, and that's in Mexico in December.
0: But a lot of um, argy-bargy along the way, I suspect.
5: I think it's going to be another rough ride. I wonder how many of the world's leaders would ever be willing to put themselves through what they've gone through today let alone the negotiators who've been awake, unable to sleep for about three days and all the journalists who gathered here But um, there's so many outstanding issues that have been left for later Um, I think it's going to be a rough, rough ride uh, before we're ever going to get a legally binding uh, accord on climate change.
0: And finally Susie was it good for the climate? Was it good for the world?
4: It really isn't as good as it could be um, but it's better than the, the disaster that we saw, you know, on the final day of this uh, conference. It could have been an absolute disaster. It could have killed off any political will in America and elsewhere to begin to deal with these issues. Instead, we do have the countries that are the major polluters now and will be the major emitters in the future taking the first steps to reduce those emissions. It's an imperfect start, certainly, but it is a beginning.
5: Which is a beginning? I think you have to see it as a beginning. You can't give up hope. Uh, And there are some small areas of progress. We shouldn't forget that. And I agree with Susie. When you saw the first draft this morning, everybody hung their heads and just thought, this is a total, total disaster. They've salvaged something a little bit better. Certainly reason to keep trying, keep working next year.
0: Okay, listeners, for everything you need to know, you can find it at Environment Guardian. That's all one word, environmentguardian.co.uk. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, John Watts. Uh, This podcast was produced by Andy Duckworth. And I'm John Vidal, checking out of the Bella Centre here in Copenhagen. And see you next year in Mexico.